0: Michelle, if you're ready to ask your question.
1: Thank you. I have two questions, Um, and you can be brief. I don't want to hog the time. The first question I had, and I've asked you this before when I saw you in person, and I've been kind of working with it as much as I can, but I need a little bit more. I need it to be expanded. I need. So my whole thing is working on on lowering my entropy. You know, ever since I heard the concept never knew about it until a couple years ago. Um, And I need some more, like, concrete, practical ways to lower my entropy. That's my first question. And then my second question, and the reason I'm asking it now is it may be kind of similar, tied to the first question a little, I don't know, is what do you do, what what do I do when I have a trigger? You know, like, we all have these triggers from our conditioning, from our childhood trauma, Mm -hmm. whatever. Like, when I get so triggered that it really, um, it impacts my behavior in a real negative way. And I've been trying to, like, work with it in the last couple of months, and I don't know what to do except stand still. But, <laughs> you know, like, I get triggered, and I'm like, oh, shit. You know, like, I'm I'm getting to the point I'm aware enough that it's a trigger. You know, before it would just mm-hmm. be like, that. you know. Now I'm getting to the point, and particularly this comes up for me in the workplace. The corporate place for me is... That's my lab. Like everything, bad, you know, everything happens there. Presses on me tremendously. So I don't know what I, I, I'm tired of standing still because I'm like, oh shit, you know, that's that trigger again. And you know, I know it's, you know, I know it again I'm feeling left out because I was left out as a kid. You know, blah. I'm so sick of all that psychological stuff, right? I've been through a million therapists. So like, I don't know how to deal with these things except to stand still, like just to like do nothing. And I feel like there's got to be a more effective way to a lower my entropy and B to, um, to be able to act appropriately when I get triggered by situations, I guess. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. I, I no, it,
2: Yeah. It makes good sense. Um, the way, uh, the way to, uh, to act, um, uh, better when you get triggered is going to have to be something that's very personal to you. There isn't going to be just a standard way that this works, but here's some ideas, some things to play with so you try something and see if that works and if it doesn't then try something else. One thing to try would be when that trigger when you start to get triggered, tell yourself, "I'm going to put that aside. Okay? I'll deal with you later." I'm going to put that aside. And now I'm going to focus on what's going on here. You know, what what is happening? Let the trigger go. Okay, I know that. Like you say, la, 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 okay, I was left out as a child and so on. Okay, forget that. Now, what's going on here? You know, what's actually being said? Forget the triggering thing and try to see, try to find the message that's coming to you that's different than the message you're getting, which is, you know, somebody's not appreciating me or I'm being put aside or I'm not, you know, whatever that, that's the message that you're telling yourself. Put that aside and try to say, well, what else is going on here? Forget that. Let me listen to the rest of it and see if I can't deal with that. So you can try that as a, as a, uh, as a way of dealing with it. Yeah. Just standing there isn't all that helpful, is it? That just makes everybody think there's something wrong with you. What's the matter? Um, you can uh, sometimes symbols help. I have a a friend, uh, a young girl who um, has lots and lots of fears, and she has made a she has built a little device for herself. It's a little bracelet. Maybe Carmen will be able to tell you I mean uh, Caroline will be able to tell you some about that. She makes a little bracelet for herself. There it is. She gave one to Caroline, and uh, what she does, is those little those little colors mean something to her and when her fear starts to come up she she looks at that and that reminds her you know like to calm down it's not about you you know focus on what's what's going on and she has some kind of thing that helps her deal with it so it's not just her standing there frozen like a deer frozen in the headlights and can't function you know she, she can function she can say well let me get my you know, let me get my device out here. Let me get my bracelet and rub my hands over those beads. And that reminds me what to do and where to go forward. So um, some sort of a, a thing like that, that's a symbol. It's just a symbol that says, okay, once I have my hands on this, I'm good. These are mind tricks, ways that we convince ourselves to, you know, we make up our own triggers. So when she gets hold of that bracelet, that's another trigger for her to let that other thing go and and not uh, be distracted by it. So I don't know if that'll help. Um, try to think of other ways that you can do that. Um, you can anticipate when you go talk to somebody. I'm sure you find that some people trigger you a lot more consistently than other people. Some people that you deal with are just those kinds of people that hits you in that way that that pushes your buttons. Well, when you approach them, you may begin. To think in your mind, alright, we're gonna have a situation here, you know, that I'm probably gonna, they're gonna say something to me that's gonna set me off and gonna trigger me. I'm not gonna let that happen. When I hear those words, I'm just going to put them aside. I'm not going to deal with them or trigger from them. So if your intellect is already expecting it, it can perhaps keep that from happening. So that when you hear that, you go, okay, yeah, but like I say, Deal with that later. So you can listen to that trigger without emotionally reacting to it. All of these are going to take some work. And none of them are going to work perfectly the first time you use them. But the more you, the more you prepare yourself for, for not reacting to that trigger, the better you'll be able to not react to that trigger. So it's just a time, just a time thing. Because you know you're going to have to deal with those people whether you want to or not, right? They're in your life and you're going to have to deal with them because you work with them and, um, you need to deal with them. So just, you know, you can even practice, practice in your own, uh, imagination. Okay. Close your eyes. See you walking up to one of those people that tend to trigger you and have them in your imagination, say something to you. That is a trigger word or a trigger phrase. Oh, you know, they walk up to you and they look at you and they say, oh, did you mess up again? You know, something like that, that triggers something in you that wants to reach out and grab them, you know. Well, do that in your imagination. And and in your imagination, don't react to that trigger. Just say, well, no, I didn't mess up, actually. What I did was this, 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 and this. And, um, you know, to me, that's a that was an appropriate response. Uh, Why do you think that I might have messed up? You see, now you're not upset. You're just engaging with it. Play those over and over in your imagination where the trigger happens and you don't get upset. And just in that imagination, you will learn a lot how to deal with it. So then when you get to the real life situation, it'll be easier for you to do what you do in your imagination because you've been through it multiple times. That will probably be one of your biggest helps. People use their imagination to do things that frighten them all the time. My favorite example is if you have to get up in front of many people and give a speech, and that's terrifying to you because you've never stood in front of a lot of people and given a speech before. The way to get over that is in your imagination. Give that speech 20 times in your imagination. Give the speech from beginning to end and uh, stand up. You know, you may be standing up facing a wall, but in your mind, there's a 100 people sitting out in front of you, and you give the speech. That helps immensely. So use your imagination as a tool as well. So those are some things you can do to desensitize yourself to this fear. And then, just like uh, I told Julia, Julie Julia, uh, you have to have that intent. I don't want to be that way. I'm not trying to just not act that way. It's not my behavior I want to fix. I want to fix me at the being level. So I don't have that fear and I don't react that way. And make sure you have that differentiation that you, you're, you want to fix, you know, you at the core level by getting rid of the fear, not just by pushing it down to where you don't see it. Because if you carry fears around that are hidden, Those things will eat at you and eat at you, and eventually they'll pop out. And it's not a good thing to do to just stuff them away where we can't see them. We need to really get rid of them. So stay focused on that, too. So hopefully I've said something that you can use, Michelle, something that will be helpful. Very,
1: very useful. Very useful. Thank you so much. I I forgot how brilliant you are. I totally (laughs) forgot. Thank
2: you. You're welcome.
0: Thank you, Michelle. Um, Ingo, you have a couple of questions as well. Please go ahead with yours.
3: Yeah, thank you, Donna. <clears throat> um, um, as far as I understand, um, an IOC partition off a part of itself, some bits, and these bits um become a free will awareness unit, um uh-huh. join the simulation and when the avatar dies, um, the partition is taken down and these bits um are reunited again with uh-huh. the IOC. And um when this IOC um joins uh, or will join the simulation again um did it use the same or will it use the same bits or can it partition um, of uh, some other bits and um, let these uh, join the simulation.
2: No yeah, bits, are, bits are bits. You know, um, if you if you write an email and then you delete it and then you write another email, do you use the same bits? You know, not necessarily. You use what just whatever bits happen to be, you know, where you want them at the time you need them. So uh, I'd say. What it what you do is you build on that past experience. Yes. So everything you've learned from that past experience now you go forward with. So in that sense, you use that same experience base now to make better choices in the next time. But whether you actually use the same bits or not probably isn't important. And you probably didn't mean that. You know, it's probably. Uh... So go ahead. See see if you can explain it better. If
3: I'm and not getting it right, I um I imagine um I see, um just as um, as a cloud and there's a um, some part of this cloud is partitioned and join the simulation and mm-hmm. then after the simulation um, it's reunited again and. Yeah.
2: It's all just part of the cloud. When it's reunited now, it's just part of the cloud again. Mm
3: -hmm. And um, yeah, when the IUC joins the simulation again with another uh, free will awareness unit, Mm -hmm. is the partition in the same location, so to speak, or can uh, or use can it use some 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 of its bits?
2: Well, location isn't a thing in in consciousness space. There isn't distance. Um, But okay, the that IUO the free will awareness unit when it re re merges, it it merges again with the IUOC. Okay, but now after that merger, the IUC changes. It grows because it's now collected all the information from that from that uh, free will awareness unit. And it's probably been collecting it all along. You know, it's not necessarily all a a data dump right at the end. It probably collects it as it goes. But once it collects that, now it needs, it wants to have another experience. So again, it takes part of itself and whether it's that same part, but it's not exactly the same part because that part's different now because the whole thing's grown up some. So it's going to take something that's a little more grown up this time and Put that back in the next avatar. Something that's a little better. So I don't think of it as piece parts there. And, it, and these, the IUOCs and the Free Will Awareness Unit are metaphors. Metaphors for functions. It's not a good idea to think of them as things. Because then we start thinking of them as physical things. And physical things have position and, and that sort of thing. So it's not really a physical thing. It's just a metaphor for the functions of consciousness. So when it when it takes another part of itself and makes another free will awareness unit, that that part is a little more grown up than the last part was because it grew up because of the last part or during you know the lifetime of that uh, other part. Does that help, Ingo, or am I missing your point?
3: No, that helps. That helps and um, i have another question um, you talk about the three paths of growing up and is it uh, possible to change a path when you are also I, I think i'm on this warrior path i have to use my intellect to grow up also to force my mm-hmm. so to speak and sometimes it would be nice to just let go of something, let go of something, but for me it's hard to do. I don't know how to do it, and there yes. a way to change. Your past?
2: Yeah, you can change. You can you can be a, 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 all three of those at the same time. You can be any one of them, or you can be you know all of them. You can have part of your life as as uh, you know as the warrior's path, part of it on the path of surrender, and part of it on the path of service. Those are you can have all of those going at once, and you can put more energy into one than the other. Yes, yeah, sometimes just surrendering is a really good way to take a giant step, just by doing that. But many people have a problem with that because it's it's scary surrendering. You know, we live in a in a world where uh, we need to feel like we're in control, and when you surrender, you surrender all control. You know, you you're no longer controlling that part that you surrender because you surrendered it and that frightens people. So that tends to be done more in the east where people uh you know can become monks and and uh, surrender themselves and while they're doing that they get you know they get they get fed and they they have duties and things to do and it kind of becomes their lifestyle, the lifestyle of of uh, surrender but it's a little harder to do in the West for the average Westerner has a hard time dealing uh, with that. But it doesn't mean you can't do some of that along with some of the, uh, you know, the uh, being kind to people, the good deeds. So I'd say do all of it, do bits and pieces of all of it. The intellectual path is a is a constant struggle. It's it's a lot of hard work. And it's struggle, struggle, struggle. The other paths aren't so much full of struggle. Their struggles are more subtle. Those other two paths do have struggles as well. And they have struggle with, am I really changing at the being level? Or am I just acting the part? That's what they have to struggle with. You see, that's, and so they all have their struggles, I guess. They just struggle over different Different aspects of it. But yes, I think that, that would be good for you to put a little effort into the other two paths if you're in a warrior's path and see where that, see where that takes you. But you need to do it again from the being level. You don't, you can't act through them. You actually have to, to, uh, do it. But there's really not going to be any loss. This is an experimental, growing up is an experimental adventure. You you try things and see if they work. If they don't work, then you try something else. The What you try and how you go about it can change many times before you settle into something. And even then you can get to a part in life where it changes dramatically again. So I'd say don't be bashful about trying different things. It's all one big experimental adventure. Do what works.
3: Okay, and uh, I use an intent to change a path. The path.
2: Yes, use your intent to change the path. Okay. Intention is the is like the motive force. It's what drives everything. Is our intent, and we will. You know, if that is our being level intent, that expresses who we are at the core, and that intention will then start to modify things, modify our choices. When you have that intent, your choices will change. If you don't have that intent, you know, you have different different choices. And as you make those different choices, they'll take you down a different path. Okay,
0: thank you. Frank, you have some very interesting questions today. Please go ahead with yours. Thank you, Donna. Hi, Tom. Um, so my first question is uh, about... Um, a long-term entropy increase or decrease and uh, the contribution of individual uh, choices to that. So you've often said that humanity has made progress towards lower entropy in recent decades and centuries and I would certainly agree with that. But at the same time, you've also often said that, well, the world is or seems in such a mess and people seem to make so many choices out of fear, ego, and beliefs. And certainly for most of us, life is all about our own comfort and pleasure. And then there are many people making choices with the intention to use and abuse others and to take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. And then unwholesome actions trigger chain reactions. So once you've been lying about something, uh, you will need to cover that up and support the lie with more lies and you entangle yourself. And Mm -hmm. so it seems easy to get into this this spiral of uh, bad choices and yet somehow – the system seems to have worked because I mean it's it's bad now but if we've made progress it must have been much worse now so I wonder yeah. if it to make all those bad choices how did we even get out of the, the really worst situation some time ago and then I remember reading in the MBT trilogy somewhere but I can 't find it back that you said something about the weight of negative and positive choices now i know you can't put figures or values on an individual choice and measure the entropy but but is it something like um when when you make let's say habitual bad choices and and you don't even realize what the negative impact is for yourself or for others that that doesn't carry so much weight as when you make a really deliberate bad choice and you're fully aware of of the consequences for you and everybody else Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, as regards positive choices, is it that, um, for example, little everyday things or just us uh, having a conversation now and I'm sincerely trying to learn and you're sincerely trying to help me understand, that is also cooperation already. I mean, we're not saving anyone's Mm -hmm. lives, but but it's a little little thing. So are we, you know, just by having this honest conversation, are we raising, uh, lowering entropy a bit? And so... Just how all these things work together, that that this seems to be a functioning entropy reduction trainer.
2: Yeah, okay. The way it works is that you make the best choices that you can based on your sense of whether they're going to increase or decrease entropy. And you don't have all the information. So you can't make a deductive choice necessarily about how much entropy is going to be raised or lowered. You can only guess at that from your past experience and from your knowledge of the other people that are going to be affected. And, you know, you have to look at everything that your choice might affect and see whether is that moving all of that in a better or a worse situation, raising or lowering entropy. And you do the best you can because, you, like I say, you won't ever have enough information to know that the choice you make is going to end up being a really good choice. You don't know that. So you do the best you can and you make that choice. And then you look at the results of that choice and you try to learn from it. Okay, I made the choice. I thought it was gonna work out better than it did. It didn't work out so well. I didn't realize that it was gonna have all those you know effects and you learn something. Next time, you'll make a better choice because of what you learned. So the idea is that if you always make choices that are the best that you can at the time with due diligence, you know, you do think about it a little and try to find what the low entropy choice is. But you don't not make a choice because you're not sure which one's low entropy, what the best one is. You just make your best choice. Then you learn from it. So as long as that's the scheme, make your best choice, learn from the results. You all you will always move upward, you'll always evolve, not necessarily in a steady monotonic line. You may have little zigzags in that line where some sometimes your choices, you know, were maybe uh, ended up creating higher entropy, but then you learn something from them and maybe the next time you made that choice, it was still higher entropy, but not quite as much, but you learn something from that too. You see, it, it, it's an iterative process of choice-making and growing up. And you're never expected to make the perfect choice. And you don't get, you don't get, uh, you know, uh, black stars next to your name because your choice was a poor choice. You get black stars, but next to your name when you refuse to learn anything from that and you keep doing that over and over and over again, you see, then that's a problem. Then you, you're de-evolving by keep doing things that are negative. So it's, yes and and the choices as you say some of them are just tiny little choices just a choice whether you smile or frown just a choice whether you you know log on here and try to find answers or whether you just blow it off and say oh well you know who cares those choices are all important choices every one just even the smallest one all add together to eventually work your way to a higher quality of consciousness or to you know, work your way down to a lower quality of consciousness. Those choices just vector sum of all of them, even the tiny ones, all add together. So you got big vectors and little vectors, and they're pointing in all sorts of directions for all the different choices you make, but they all sum to something. And as long as there's that feedback loop of you learning, that will guarantee that your choice making is going to get better and better and better as you go through life. So some people get hung up on how do I know which choice is the right choice? Well, you won't know. It's impossible to know for sure what the right choice is because there's too many things that are going to, too many layers of interaction as your choice flows through, you know, the rest of the world. You don't know all the things that it might influence. So you don't need to know that. Just whatever your best choice is with your due diligence now. Okay. I've thought about it. I've kind of studied. It the best I can here's my choice now let's see how that worked in other words you always remain skeptical and you always remain open-minded so you can grow from from your mistakes
0: so that I that I understand I think but what I'm I guess what I'm amazed about is that uh, the entropy reduction trainer seems to work more or less well also for people who are not really actively on a path to growing up I mean, what you've just explained is the method for those who um who are on that path, you know I so I don't know, three years ago, I heard about you and I found your theory very convincing, and since then, I've realized, yes, the purpose of my life here is to grow up. but I would say that there are many, if not most people in the world who don't even have that attitude. Uh, who are either mm-hmm. religious and when you're religious it's just about uh, following rules and and it's not necessarily about your intent uh, it could right. be but but it's mainly about following rules so what we talk about here doesn't Im- even apply to many people
2: okay. and That's yet, it.
0: it seems to have so I'm just amazed that it still seems to have <laughs> worked some way um, well even
2: it works have, the, other, the other way that it works is is the uh, you know the old uh, carrot and the stick, right? When you do things wrong, you get hit with a stick and when you do things right, you get the carrot. You know, that's, that's the way to, you know, to train your donkey, right? That's sort of the, you know, the idea. You train your donkey with sticks and carrots. And this system works the same way. As you make better choices and you grow, that growing process makes your life better, more joyful, more productive, Everything works better for you. You get better relationships. You know, your job's better. Your home's better. Everything improves. And when you make poor choices, you get the opposite. You get the stick. So growing up, you get the carrot. If you de-evolve, you get the stick. And when you get the stick, things get worse and worse. You are always struggling. You're always upset. You're always growling. You got stomach acid problems. You know, you have headaches. You, you feel bad. Uh, your relationships are awful. You know, you, you and your spouse don't really like each other. You and your children don't talk either. You know, it's just this life gets worse and worse and worse. And the more you try to grab it and control it and make it be the way you want, the more frustrated you get. And that is the process that eventually turns people around to where they get to the point they just can't stand the pain anymore and they decide to do something about it and they act differently. So you might not see that in a lifetime. You may see one person who is very abusive and he may be very successful in his abuse. He may have a few million dollars in the bank because of his abuse and it may seem like he is you know, sitting on top of the world as happy as he can be but he only smiles when the camera's around. People like that are not so happy because people like that make choices that make their lives miserable. And whether you're a financial success or not doesn't make you a success in the big picture. What makes you a success in the big picture is that you lower your entropy and increase your quality. And until you do that, no matter what else you have going for you, It's not going to be satisfying. It's not going to be whole and it's not going to make you happy. So that's the no, so the whole system has that going for it as well. And I've seen some whole reality frames, some whole virtual realities where they have gotten to the point where the negative is so overwhelming that the whole thing then starts to become more and more negative. It comes into a positive feedback situation where it gets more and more negative, which drives more and more negativity. And they get to the point that it is horrible. And when they get to that stage, a, 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 what? an attitude that's just the opposite of that, an attitude that's positive, starts to grow up in the bushes somewhere on the side. You know, you might say the rebels to that self-destructing thing are the ones who want to be nice to each other. And think that uh, positiveness is a better thing, and then that has a chance to spread and to grow. So, eventually, negative attitudes are self-defeating attitudes. That's the thing about negativity. Negativity. When I've you've probably heard me say that the positive side can grow greatly in its power. It can grow. Oh, you can't see my hand. It can grow way up. The negative side can only get about so far before it just doesn't get any stronger. That's because the negative is intrinsically self-destructive. High entropy is self-destructive. High entropy blows it, keeps blowing itself up with its, with its chaos. It can't really build and construct and grow and accumulate like the positive side can. So if the, the negative self-destructs enough, those elements that are IUOCs in it, they eventually get that message and try to do better. And they get put in other situations where they're not so likely to be abusive. Let's say you were a, a CEO of a very you know uh, uh, big company that affected things all over the world and your whole idea was to make as much money as possible and do that by running over people and taking their money and abusing them and so on. Well, your next time, you're not likely to be in a situation where you can do that again. The next time, you'll end up in a situation where you're probably on the other end of that abuse or you just aren't that enabled and you get a whole different perspective. So it's not like once you're an abuser, you come back and say, okay, I'm going to be a CEO next time too because it doesn't work like that. That pattern gets broken. All right, you are a madman there. You are abusive. Next time you're, you know, you're a pig farmer, you know, somewhere in uh, Afghanistan, and that's your life, okay? You're not going to abuse anybody probably but your but your wives and your daughters and, and maybe, uh, you know, your pigs and the dog and whoever else, but you don't have a big reach anymore, and there's probably a lot of people that will abuse you in that position because you don't have much power. So now you get a whole new start, and in that start, you may decide, well, okay, I could have a much better relationship with my pigs and my, and my, you know, my daughter and my wife and my sons if we all cooperate and work together. And you might start building a, a life of positive things there in that role, because being a pig farmer in Afghanistan gives you a lot of positive choices as well, ways to interact very positively. And then you build that up. And the next lifetime, you're something else. You know, who knows? But you you always get a chance to move forward in a situation that you can move forward in. The system tries hard not to put anybody into a life that is just beyond their ability to deal with it uh, or one where they can continue, uh, you know, uh, de-evolving in a, in a similar pattern. They get stuck in a place where it's a whole new ball game and they get to approach it with a whole different set of of choices than they had before. And now they get another chance to learn this stuff. So so as it goes and you go life after lifetime, in general, you learn things. But now the system can't predict exactly what kind of choices you're going to get in your life. Right, You could be a nice pig farmer in Afghanistan doing very well with a happy family and happy pigs and just really a very positive thing going, and then somebody's war just runs right over top of you. Well, who knew that that was going to happen? You see, that may be just the way it is. So now your choices change dramatically, and maybe that ugly part of you that you had in other lifetimes will come out and reassert itself, or maybe not. But in the whole, in the big picture, the system tries to put you into new incarnations that will be profitable for you, not something that's going to help you de-evolve.
0: Thank you. So so this uh, actually might uh, be a nice transition to my second question, because on top of the um, mechanisms that you've just described, um, there's also the issue of, of teachers with a big picture view um, that, that come in. To the game, and I recently read a post on the M B T forum where you said that, like every good schoolhouse, this P M R also needs teachers. And I suppose, well, you mean sages and mystics that come to this virtual reality to help others grow up, uh, people who have a big-picture view like yourself. And it seems that such wise people and teachers have been around in all cultures throughout recorded history. So, mm-hmm. so these people with a big-picture view. Are they absolutely an essential component for this virtual reality to work as an efficient entropy reduction trainer? And and if so, was this clear from the beginning that those would be needed or did they come in because they grew to be like this in this virtual reality and so it was just natural that they kept doing yeah. that? Or or did it de-evolve and at some point someone like the big cheese decided, okay, now we need to speed up evolution. and You know, some really wise people need to go there and, and, you know, give people some idea of the big picture.
2: Probably all of the above. I think for the most part, it's just a natural process that as you grow up, you become a teacher. You know, and, you know, you're a teacher for people who aren't as grown up as you are because you can see the things that are going on and you can maybe say things to them or point directions or hand them a book or, you know, whatever. You can do things that help them improve themselves. And there's teachers that hand you books and, you know, point you in directions, you know, that help you improve yourself. So we all passed a certain point. I guess when you're a beginner, you don't do much teaching because you just need to, you know, get some experience. But eventually, once you get a little bit of experience, you're both a teacher and a and a student at the same time. And the more you evolve, then that ratio of teacher to student becomes more teacher and less student. And that just keeps happening as you evolve and evolve and evolve. Then you get, you know, a bigger part of you is teacher and a less part of you is a student. But always, no matter how much you evolve, there's always a part of you that's a student. You're never going to get to the, you know, I'm a 100% teacher and I don't have anything else to learn. Because as soon as you have that attitude, you start (laughs) de-evolving. because you've already declared yourself perfect. And we know that's not on anybody's path of, you know, no, no fear, no ego, you know, no belief. So yes, it's a natural thing. But if the system needed to, because it was necessary, they could have planted a, an NPC. Could have sent an NPC here just to play that character of the sage who that helps people grow up. It can do that whenever it wants. Right. And it plays the character itself. Um, it could, uh, you know, it could, uh, place the, the ones that are grown up naturally in places where they're most needed. It could encourage them, say, would you mind, you know, working, you know, c- going into the next life over here because we really need some, some people who will help that area grow up, you know, and you've got the right skill set and the right background and so on for doing that. So it, it may place its assets intelligently as well. But mostly it's, you know, we help each other and where we need somebody, you know, kind of special to pull it all together. Well, the system can make that happen or one of the people who's just grown up there will take it, take that role. You know, as, as the executives and the board of directors uh, pass on, somebody else steps up and takes the role, grows into it. So it's some of all of those things, all the things you mentioned. It's not just one of them, but the possibilities that you know, all of it's like that, yes. It's natural, it could so be placed. All
0: the, so, all the big guns among the sages, like the Buddha, for example, did they mm-hmm. all, I mean, was this virtual reality enough to get that big a picture, or did uh, they need to learn in other virtual realities? Or is it that uh, at some point you get to explore NPMR anyway, and there you learn, and it doesn't really matter where your base reality is?
2: Mm-hmm. No, this, this uh, virtual reality is. is plenty big enough and, and diverse enough that you can just grow the grow up that much here. So, uh, yes, after, you know, the Buddha didn't uh, pop out of the womb, uh, a Buddha, you know, he had to sit under a, a tree for a long time before, uh, you know, the idea came to him, what was going on. And then he refined that message and that understanding over the next bunch of years as he wandered around and, uh, grew his skills and being able to pass that message on to other people so that other people could understand it. So he was still growing. He was still a student all the time that he was the Buddha at the same time. So yes, people have been able to do that. That's why, you know, we have the Buddha who's what, 2,500 years old now, you know, it's about 2,500 years ago, roughly, but you also have, have bits and pieces coming out of, of, uh, you know, history that is even much older than that, you know, two or three, four times that old. And often it's very much in, you know, consistent with the understanding that we have now. So I think people, you know, it it takes a lot of technology and money and cooperation to explore outer space, but it doesn't take anything but a positive intent to explore inner space. So there've been humans around for about 200,000 years walking around as as humans. Well, there were different kinds of, like I say, all weren't called humans, but there were different humanoids walking around that eventually uh, Homo sapien uh, uh, kind of won the field and dominated. But ever since there's been humans walking around, I think there have been people who have explored inner space. And occasionally those people got really far in their explorations. And understood things very well, and typically, when you understand things very well, you realize that the role as teacher just automatically f- falls on you. If you understand things that others don't understand, you you help others.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, one one very last uh, thing, and you can be very brief. And it seems that uh, well, most of those sages uh, were men. Is that because uh, they those I U O deliberately chose the role of a male avatar because that's uh, how they would have the most impact or is it whether just as many females maybe just we didn't hear of them because most societies didn't value women so much or um,
2: or I would say there's uh, probably lots of probably lots of reasons all of those yes females were uh, generally kept busy you know nobody lived a long time in those days it's not like They all lived to be 70 or 80 years old. Most people in those early days of humanoids were lucky if they got as old as, say, 35. You know, the lifespans were short. Um, People who had, obviously, spare time would be required, right? If you're busy staying alive and busy finding food, then you're not spending a lot of time uh, exploring inner space. So it had to be somebody who had some uh, time, which is probably one of the older, probably older people maybe even people that were born with one leg, you know, maybe they couldn't help much, so they had a lot of spare time. I don't know. But, uh, you know, the women, we usually keep them pretty busy. You know, they have, they, uh, they have children, and then they have to take care of these children, and then they have grandchildren, and they're just busy, busy, busy. They don't get a lot of spare time if you're a female. I guess with a guy, when your job is done, if you ever if your job ever gets done, You know, if you get past the needing to, you know, survive and feed yourself and whatever, then you might have some spare time. So I don't know whether that, you know, has anything to do with it or not. But uh, there have been female sages. There have been, uh, you know, any number of those. We don't get a lot of that out of ancient history. But I suspect at that time it... uh, just would have been more difficult for females to follow that path, but they can grow up just as easily as a man can grow up. You know, they can evolve and get lower consciousness in the same way men can. There's not, there's no advantage that being a man or a woman lends you to, uh, getting rid of fear, ego and, and belief. That's has, has no, uh, connection to gender really, but our genders did put us in different roles during those times. And, uh, I suspect that, uh, you know, maybe the woman that was born with one leg too would have done real well because she wouldn't have had to do the crops and, you know, take care of the children. She would have been put aside doing something else, maybe something, you know, like peeling potatoes, and she could meditate really well while she peeled those potatoes and went did a lot of internal exploring, doing whatever it is she could do. You know, who knows? Um, yeah, we don't have much history of, of uh, famous... Women gurus back from, you know, a couple of centuries before Buddha, they do tend to be men, but then look at all the history books at that time, you know, you don't hear a whole lot about the women. It's mainly about the wars and the scrapes and the fights and most all that's about the men. You know, and the violence, that's typically what gets recorded and that there was a really happy home someplace and all the children really grew up well and, uh, you know, became great assets to the community generally doesn't make the news, even though it's absolutely fundamentally important to our evolution here. It just doesn't make the news.
1: Thank you.